to all the other core values of the church. Because of Jesus Christ, we belong to each other in a way that no other community, club, organization does. And we express that truth through covenant membership. A voluntary commitment of mutual submission where we willingly participate in affirming and overseeing one another in our discipleship journeys in Christ. We look out for one another. We help spur one another on. We encourage one another. We, we, we exist together. We talked about how we belong to one another. And second, we looked at the core value of generous giving, where we saw in light of what God has generously bestowed on us, we should be motivated to be generous to one another and in the support of his body, not just with our finances, with our time, talents, and giftings as well. And so we are halfway through this series, and I pray that uh, it is beginning to clarify our vision of what the church is and how you fit within and relate to that body. This week we are going to continue to build our understanding of the church by looking at this core value of sacrificial service. So here's how we get here. Uh, If we belong to one another and we are called to generosity, then the natural outworking of that will be a sacrificial service towards one another. If we believe that we belong to one another because we have been purchased by Christ and that he has been overwhelmingly generous to us, then sacrificial service towards God will be the natural outworking of that truth. And so uh, this is kind of the results of the first two weeks. If we belong to one another because Christ has purchased us, And he's been so generous to us and calls us to generosity, then the natural outworking of that is that as we serve one another, it will be beyond surface level. It will be sacrificial. We will love one another through service. And so uh, it's kind of natural to turn here now. And so to better understand it this morning, uh, we are going to turn to one of the clearest displays of sacrificial service that Jesus used to wonderfully illustrate not only how we can serve one another, but paints a picture of his ultimate sacrifice in service to believers. We find this encounter in John chapter 13. So if you haven't already turned there, please turn to John chapter 13, where we are going to find Jesus in the upper room with his disciples during the last days of his ministry here on earth. And so we are going to talk about sacrificial service, and I want to share with you this morning three observations from our text. And so sacrificial service The encounter of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, three observations. So we'll begin there in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and began to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. So here's how this encounter begins. Uh, Jesus uh, takes this time to take off the outer garment, wrap around a towel, and begin to wash the feet of disciples. And so that's kind of where we set the scene. And so I want to observe first that Jesus provided a model for us to imitate. If you're taking notes, uh, he provided a model for us to imitate. And so to get the full impact of this encounter, because I think we can kind of read it and we're familiar with it, I want to 
kind of go back and carefully walk through this opening description to get our footing of what is happening here, as well as the implications. It says that he, uh, knowing that his hour had come. Now we find in other places Jesus tells my hour has not yet come, right? He, he, he says it's not time. But now he says he knows in this moment that his hour had come. He knew that he was about to face the cross, that he was about to bear the wrath of God for sinners, that he was about to endure everything he was going to endure. And he knew that the path there would begin with one of his own denying him, and that would lead him through suffering, pain, and humility. Knowing that his final hour would see all of his closest followers flee from him, and one, his closest disciple, shamefully denying him three times. He knew his hour had come. Don't miss where Jesus is when this encounter happens. He has come to the end of his three-year ministry. He knows what's about to happen better than anybody else. And even in the midst of that, we see this encounter, that he, having loved his own. What does it mean that they were his own? Well, in John 15, just a few chapters later, Jesus is teaching and says, you are my own because I chose you. He tells the disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you. In another place earlier, he told them that they were his own because the Father had given them to him. In John 6, it says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should not lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. So he says, they're his own because I chose you. You're my own because God gave you to me. And you're my own because I'm going to purchase you. In Corinthians, Paul says, Having chosen us in his gracious love, Jesus made us his own by purchase, redeeming us from our sins through the blood of his cross. Therefore, Paul writes to believers, You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So John says, having loved his own, he loved them to the end. And the interesting thing about John is this is right in the middle of John's gospel. He has spent the first 13 chapters, 12 chapters, describing how Christ has loved his disciples. How he's called them and invested in them and taught them. And now the second half, he's going to deal with these final days in Jerusalem leading up to the cross, where he says beautifully in this moment, Jesus loved them to the end. Jesus knew that his time had come. He loved them as his own because they were his own and he loved them to the end. And here's what we see. That sacrificial service is not, cannot be motivated if we're preoccupied with ourself. Here is Jesus and if there was ever a time to be preoccupied with yourself, this is it. We're told in a few short verses that he is troubled in his heart because he's about to be betrayed, right? He says, I'm troubled in my spirit. Like he's about to face what is unfathomable. The best descriptions we can give it pale in what Jesus endured during his passion. And so if there was ever a time we go, okay, Jesus, I understand you being concerned with yourself. Even in this moment, he is more concerned with spending his final hours serving, teaching, encouraging his disciples. Sacrificial service has to get self out of the way. The second thing we see about sacrificial service in this is it cannot be preoccupied with the worthiness 
of the recipient. He washed Judas's feet. Just let that sink in for a minute. He already knows, because he says things like, not all of you are my own, not all of you are clean. Like, in a little while, he's going to dip bread and give it to Judas and say, go do what you have to do quickly. Like, he knows, and it's tearing him up inside, and yet, what does he do when he comes to Judas? He doesn't skip him. He gets down and washes his feet and wipes them with a towel because sacrificial service doesn't get wrapped up in what the other person deserves. We don't know if Jesus was hoping this was the moment that would turn Judas's heart. We don't know if he knew that nothing would turn his heart, but he was going to wash his feet anyway. All we know is he loved all of them until the end. Sometimes we have a hard time serving people that haven't really done anything to us. We just don't like them. Or what they've done to us is so trivial compared to what Jesus is about to go through. Oh, she said a harsh word to you. Judas betrayed him with a kiss. But I don't like the way she acted or treated me. Because of Judas, Jesus would be nailed to a cross. But you don't know what he did or she did. Jesus died because Judas betrayed him. And what did he do? He washed his feet. We let such trivial stuff keep us from serving one another and loving one another. And I want you to hear me today. It is disgusting. If Christ can wash Judas' feet, I can love somebody that hurt me. If Christ washed the feet of Judas, I can get over somebody doing something to me. Right? If Christ can get down and wash the feet of the one that just in a few hours would kiss him to betray him, I can get over that little bit of hurt and serve somebody. Amen? That, that almost went another way. But okay. So, knowing all of that, Jesus does, he washes his feet, and I think that's so powerful. But listen, knowing all of that, and verse 3 says, knowing that he had come from God and was going to God, listen, don't miss that Jesus knew who he was, he knew whose he was, and he knew what was before him on the other side of the cross, right? He knew who he was, he knew who he belonged to, and he knew what was coming on the other side of this pain, because the posture of sacrificial love and this knowledge that Jesus had, this attitude that he had, allowed him to leave his place of honor to serve those who followed him, right? Jesus was the teacher, the rabbi. We'll talk about that in a little bit. He was at the head of the table. And all of this, knowing who he was, whose he was, what was fixing to happen, loving them, he was able to, he was freed to leave that place of honor and put on a towel and wash the feet of the disciples. And we, we kind of miss this because it's not a, something that really makes sense in our culture. But they wore sandals in dusty, gross roads. And walking, you know, your feet would get just disgusting. And one of the things that would happen when you came into someone's house is they would have a servant wash your feet before you, you met together around the table. And this is especially important when you realize that in their day, they, they reclined on the floor to eat, right? Low table, next to the feet, right? Right? Need to get them clean, okay? 
And so, but this was a menial task. This wasn't the, the, the person that owned the house didn't do it. The server didn't do it. Like the lowest slave in the house was there to wash the feet. And it seems as though Jesus and his disciples have come into the room prepared for them and they've sat down around the table and no one has washed their feet. And knowing this, because it would have been pretty obvious, none of them volunteered. And so as they sit around there, there's this necessity that hasn't happened. And Jesus gets up and takes on this menial task. He takes on the, the clothes of a servant and washes the feet of the disciples. But, but you understand that that's not the, that's not the model, right? Like, that doesn't make any sense in our day. Like, please come take off your shoes and your clean socks and let me wash your feet. Like that, it's not the same thing. The model that Jesus gave us is so much bigger than that, right? Like you, it, it can't be about just washing feet. Like I've watched pastors wash wash feet before, and it can be a powerful example and illustration, and it can be touching and moving, but it's not the model, right? Like it misses the point. It doesn't even come close to filling model because listen, Jesus' model, his example is humbling ourselves, fully secure in who we are, and serving those that may even seem beneath us by performing whatever menial task of service that meets the very real need they have. No one here is probably ever going to need their feet washed. But the single mom might need someone to go get groceries for her. The elderly man in the hospital might need someone to go feed his dog, wash his car, like the things that you just think, man, somebody else can do that. That's the kind of foot washing stuff we're talking about. Like the stuff that no one really wants to do. No one really wanted to wash feet in this day. Like this was beneath them. But Jesus was willing to do it because he was secure in who he was and he loved them and he wanted to meet this need. But also point them to the fact that none of them had done it, I think. What this looks like for you depends largely on you and the people around you in this church, in the pew next to you, in your Bible class this morning. But as we see in the next section of Scripture, Jesus did not give us the the example that he gave us that we may consider doing it from time to time if we feel like it. Jesus did not give us an example that only applies to the leadership of the church or to your teacher. He commands all of those that name his name, that call themselves followers, to imitate him. We'll pick up in verse 12. Jesus has washed their feet. And it says, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place... He said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you're right for so I am. If then, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. The second observation is Jesus proclaimed a command. For us to follow. When we look at sacrificial service, it's not optional. Jesus says, I did it, you do it. Right? 
Like he, he proclaims this as a command for his followers. He says, for I've given you an example that you also should do just as I've done for you. So where, where, where's Jesus going with this? He washes their feet, he gets up, he takes his place back at the table and he says, listen, if I am your master and your teacher, and those are two words that share similar meanings, but have slightly different connotations. If I am your master, the idea is master in religious instructions, your teacher, right? If you are my students, if you are learning from me, and I am your Lord, that is, I am your master of your life, more as a, a servant would relate to someone. So he says, if I am, if you are my students in religious things, and I am, you're my servants, and then I'm your master, that is, if you believe that what I say is to be followed, and you believe that I am your master, then do what I have commanded you to do, right? He says, if I'm who you say I am, then do what I tell you to do. If I am your Lord and master and your teacher and your instructor, and I have washed your feet, then you also ought to wash one another's feet. You should do just as I have done to you. As I, I dug into this passage, uh, I wanted to really understand it. And what I, I thought was interesting was when he says, you also ought to wash one another's feet, literally it says, you owe it. Like, you are indebted to one another to wash feet. The next time they sat around a table, they should be compelled to be the first one to wash one another's feet. This would continue to be an ongoing symbol for them uh, because it was a tangible way for them to serve one another, right? Like, because the foot washing thing was going to stay for a while, right? They needed it before the roads got better and things like that. And so this was a, he says, listen, this menial task, do it. Do it to one another. But he's not saying just wash feet, that, that answers the model. He's saying whatever that menial task is, serve one another. Because if I, at the top, as your teacher and your master have humbled myself and done the lowest, there's nothing below you. There's nothing below your level. There's nothing below your status. There's nothing that you shouldn't humble yourself to do if it serves one another in love. Jesus goes on to broaden the command, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. This takes us back to our first observation and everything Jesus modeled for us in this counter from his attitude to his actions. He says, listen, the way that I was securing myself and humbled myself and did this, like, just as I have done this, I want you to do this. But isn't this the same message that Jesus gives his disciples over and over again? In John 13, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. How? Just as I have loved you. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And again, in the same teaching in verse, chapter 15, he says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. This was his model of teaching. Like I did for you, you do for one another. And listen, the apostle John, the disciple who Jesus loved, the one who writes this, he gets it because this is a core value that he teaches later when he says in 1 John 4, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. John says that thing that Jesus taught us, still the thing. Because he loved us, we owe it to one another to love one another. 
Like it's, an, it's, a, it's a command. Isn't this what we find in Jesus' teaching on prayer? He says, forgive us, Father, for our sins, for we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. As you've done to me, I'm going to do to others. The command of Jesus is to take what has been done for you and do it for others. You can almost fill in the blank here. As Christ has forgiven you, forgive one another. As Christ has been gracious to you, be gracious to one another. As Christ has been patient with you, be patient to one another. As Christ has served you, serve one another. And on and on it could go. While I was thinking about this, I was reminded of a a popular trend when I was growing up. We talked about some stuff uh, in Bible study this morning about growing up. But one of the things I remember growing up in the church was these WWJD bracelets. Who remembers those? What would Jesus do? And so some of you may remember, and they had bracelets and key rings and stickers, and this question was supposed to motivate us to think about what Jesus would have done in any particular situation. But I think as a question, it falls short of helping us really fulfill the command Jesus gave us. A better question is not what would Jesus do in this situation, it is what has Jesus done for me? How can I extend that towards others? It's not as catchy. And it would be something like W-H-J-D-F-M-H-C-I-E-T-T-O. And I don't think it would catch on and the the bracelet would be too long. But that's a much better question. What has Jesus done for me? And then how can I extend that to other people? That's a real question, isn't it? That's a question that gets at the heart of what have I experienced from God? How can I do that to others? And that's what he says. As I have done for you and to you, you do for others. If you are a follower of Jesus who has been loved by him, redeemed by him, purchased by him, his command for you is to love one another in the way that he loved you, sacrificially serving by meeting your greatest need. If you are his, this command is for you. Which Jesus specifically says in the next few verses. We'll pick up in verse 16. In verse 16, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture uh, will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one whom sent me. He says, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I'm chosen. There was one there, although he looked the part, although he played the part, he rejected Christ's love and was about to betray him. He says, so this is not for you, right? You're not one of mine. But if you are mine, and you take this command seriously, here's a third observation for us this morning. Jesus promised a reward for us to experience. And I'm not going to spend much time here on this observation because this is not why we do, why we serve one another. This is, I feel like this is a byproduct of sacrificial service, and it's certainly not the motivation, but it's important for us to understand. In verse 17 he says, If you know these things, blessed, or if you're old, Baptist, blessed, 
are you if you do them? Such a simple statement. If you know this and you do it, blessed. But that statement carries so much weight for us today. Jesus often used this word blessed in conjunction with obedience to his words. And the word is actually supremely blessed. Or if you look at the Greek word, it means happy or even happier. Like abundantly happy. Right? And so the idea is, if you do this, you will experience the, the blessing or the happiness of God. And this is so counterculture to the, what the world says, right? The world says if you want to be happy, it comes from what you receive. Um, it comes from having people wait on you, having people serve you. It comes from positions of power or being on top or, or having it made. And Jesus turns that on his head for his followers. He says if you want to experience blessings and happiness, serve one another. Like humble yourself. And that's the key to happiness in the kingdom of God. Like he turns that on his head. And I think that's what gave Paul, the Apostle Paul, confidence to say later in Acts 20, in all things I've shown you that we're working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, we don't have those exact words in Scripture, but I think we see clearly that this is something that Jesus taught. When he says, listen, if you do this and you give and you sacrifice and you love one another, you will experience blessing. For the church, we remember that to follow Christ is to lovingly empty ourselves in the service of others, knowing the truth that the more we give, the more we sacrifice in the pursuit of Jesus, the sweeter the day we meet him face to face. Like, in the kingdom of God, you don't have to worry about if you sacrifice for others, you'll somehow lose in the equation. Peter says, listen, we've given up family and friends and homes and jobs for you. And Jesus assures him that that will be nothing in comparison. And so we don't have to worry that if I sacrifice for someone else, if I serve one enough, that somehow I'm losing something. In the kingdom of heaven, true happiness and contentment, all the things that the world are looking for anyway, are found not in elevating yourself, but in humbling yourself and serving others. Jesus says you will find true blessedness and happiness. Sacrificial service is a core value of the church. It's given to us by the Lord Jesus himself when he gave us this model for us to imitate. It's a command he gave us to follow and he promised a reward for those who do it. So often we see people in the church bitter and miserable and upset because they're worried about what they're getting. They're worried about how they're being served. And the happiest, sweetest people are the ones who serve week after week and don't expect anything, don't ask for anything because they found, right? They found true to be what Jesus said. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Meaningful membership coupled with generous giving and sacrificial service is what takes a church body from a club to a community. Listen to this quote by Philip Yancey. He says, anyone can form a club, but it takes grace, shared vision, and hard work to form a community. Jesus tells us that the way to form and to love one another is to serve one another sacrificially. And I pray this morning, my hope is 
that you've gotten a fresh picture of what it means to serve one another, as well as why and how you should do it. My prayer is that we as a church will be known by its acts of service, that people will see us humble ourselves and serve one another above and beyond because we love one another. And here's the challenge. If there's something that is stopping you from doing that, I pray that this example of Jesus, as well as his instruction, the way that he loves you and serves you, will motivate you to turn that over this morning. Maybe it's a, a bitter attitude towards attitude towards somebody here. Maybe it's an attitude of pride that says, I deserve to be served or to have my own way. Maybe it's the idea that you won't ever be happy serving others. That if you sacrifice for others, you won't have enough. Let me encourage you today to not leave today without dealing with that. Because to really belong to people is to share the idea that we are here to serve and to love one another sacrificially, above and beyond the minimum, above and beyond what is convenient. Jesus could have asked any one of those disciples to wash the feet and they would have done it, right? Because he was the master and the teacher. Jesus could have called for a servant. Jesus could have done a, Jesus could have snapped and their feet been clean, right? But he was willing to take off the outer robe, put on the towel and wash the feet of the disciples. So I pray that today you'd be encouraged in that. But before I close, as I said in the beginning, Jesus' actions don't just give us a clear display of what it means to sacrificially serve one another. It also illustrates and paints a picture of his ultimate sacrifice to believers. Listen, this whole encounter is a picture of Jesus' ministry and purpose here on earth, each element reflecting a greater reality. Listen, he was at the seat of honor at the table. The Bible says before he came, he was seated at the right hand of God. He was in a place of honor. The Bible says that he laid aside his outer garment and wrapped himself in a towel. The creator clothed himself in, in humility and humanity, right? He left the table, robed himself in the form of a servant. He washed their feet. He served mankind's greatest need by dying on a cross. This all reflects what Jesus was about to do. I think that's why he says, you don't understand now, Peter, but afterwards you will. Afterwards, you realize that this was all a picture of what it truly means to serve one another sacrificially because I left my seat in heaven. I put on the robes of humanity and I'm going to humble myself to the point of the cross because I know that's the only thing that will make you clean. His sacrifice on the cross provided a way for us to be cleansed of our sin, of our guilt, of our shame. And in the same way he told Peter, if you don't allow me to wash your feet, you have no part of me. If you will not allow him to pay the debt of your sins and receive his forgiveness and righteousness, you have no part of him. So how do you do that? You willingly submit yourself to him as both Lord and Savior, understanding that apart from his intervention, there is a stain of sin and guilt on you that will eternally separate you from God. And if you want to be free of that today, know that his offer to wash you stands today. He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness and sin and, and make you new in him. All you have to do is allow him to serve you. You're not part of me. In the same way, I don't know what's kept you from coming to the Lord, from accepting the fact that apart from him, you, you, you're 
dirty and, and covered in shame and sin. And the Bible says that separates you from God. But if you will allow him to wash you, you'll be clean. But maybe today's the day. Maybe now you understand what Jesus did for you and why he did it. Maybe today's the day you turn your life to him. Let us pray.